Hi, everyone. I'm Boomer Esiason, and welcome to another edition of our Game Time Podcast. Today's guest has blossomed into one of the most feared defensive players in the National Football League. At 6'3", 275 pounds, this sack artist is a quarterback's worst nightmare. But it is a pleasure for this thankfully retired quarterback to welcome New England Patriots linebacker Matthew Judon. Matthew, welcome to our Game Time Podcast. Thank you for having me, Boomer. You're still only in your second season in New England, and already many are calling you one of the best free agent signings of Bill Belichick's career. Do those kinds of accolades make you feel extra pressure to perform for the hoodie? Uh, nah, nah. I just got to be me. When uh, you put too many expectations on you and uh, other people' uh, thoughts and ex expectations, uh, that's when you get out of character and you start doing stuff besides yourself. You always got to be yourself and be true to you. Right, you know, speaking of performing, you have a signature sack dance where you actually wipe your right hand across your face with your head reared back. Now, you said that you stole it with permission from your Baltimore Raven former teammate, Michael Crabtree, and you recently actually filed a trademark with it. Now, I'm wondering what the deal with that is and then whether or not Crab is going to get a piece of that trademark. Uh, nah, Crab said it, Crab said it was cool, but... Uh, the trademark was just so I can uh, put it on clothes, and other people uh, other people wouldn't. It wasn't like if Crab wanted to use it, uh, I would I wouldn't mind at all. But uh, it was it was just for like other people. All right, so Mark Ingram, another former Raven teammate, supposedly gave you a little bit of advice. He said, "Pick one celebration and do it over and over. That way they'll notice." Is that true? Yeah, yeah. My Mark, that was the year uh, Mark and Crab was there. Uh, they both got there at the same time, and uh, we was kind of just sitting around talking about it before a game. And I was like, "All right, bet." And uh, I, I think my first time doing it was uh, a sack after uh, on Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Oh, couldn't come against a better guy, that's for sure. Right. Now, you know, I was reading where you said your fellow Patriot quarterback, Mac Jones, is a great guy and football player. But when it comes to fashion, you, the man with the signature red sleeves on the field, of course, we, we talked about earlier, called him, quote, a lost cause. What kind of drip sins has he committed in your eyes? Uh, I think Mac, he just don't really, you know, care about, like, the fashion and stuff. He... He dresses nice. Uh, he got like nice suits and things, and he got nice articles of clothing. But you know, Mac Mac dresses like he going to work, going to and from work. You know, sweatpants or just a uh, just casual clothes and a button up and some jeans. That's that's what he feel comfortable in. And so he don't Mac don't really got no drip. Did you ever see uh, Joe Burrow in some of the clothes that he wears? Does he have drip? Yeah, yeah, Joe be, Joe be dressing. He be putting yeah, he on. does. Yeah. He wore SpongeBob shoes one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, Joe got some nice uh, articles of clothing. And hey, let me ask you this. You know, you said on Nickelodeon that you actually swam with the sharks despite being scared of them, but you still did it. You did it? Yeah, yeah. We uh, One year I went uh, to Hawaii and they had cage-free uh swimming with shark and so i wasn't in a cage or nothing it was it was crazy like i i, I ain't never felt such anxiety or like my heart was beating fast 
like mini panic attack under the water and then like the swim it was really dark waters mm-hmm. and then a shark was just like swimming at me it came out of nowhere but then the then a man had came swim in front of me and, and then a shark had rear uh veered off and they, and they said they, they said they didn't eat they didn't eat people but i was like i don't know i don't know man i mean like i don't necessarily know that i could do that myself and I, i'm just thinking if they saw me because i'm so blonde and so white that even though that water is dark they would see me very clearly i have a feeling well, don't worry. He saw me. He saw me. <laughs> it, it, don't, it don't matter the color of your skin. Shark, shark was, he, he was looking for a meal. He, he didn't care what color I was. Matthew, a little tip as we both live here on the East Coast. Stay out of the shark-infested waters. Do me a favor. I'd rather see you playing football than messing with the sharks on the beach, all right? All right. I got you. So let's turn to this current season, Matthew. Back around Thanksgiving, you were leading the NFL in sacks, and yet Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa seem to be ahead of you in the discussion for Defensive Player of the Year. Is winning that award a secret goal of yours? Uh, I just want to keep my play up for the team, and uh, regardless of who thinks of where I am or how I'm doing or what I'm doing, uh, I believe that at the end of the day, uh, as long as I'm – going out there and producing for my team and, and we having fun and, and uh, we're, we're doing well on defense. Let the stats and uh, the he says and she says, let they fall where they may. But at the end of the day, I know what I'm doing uh, and what type of player I am. I got to ask you, what's the deal with the red sleeves? <laughs> uh, well, it, it originally started out that uh, uh, I, I would play on turf and I always would get scratched up. And uh, and so I was like, man, I'm gonna wear long sleeves. And uh, when I came when I came from the Ravens, we were only allowed to wear like either black or white, uh, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. And so uh, in the New England color scheme, red was allowed for me to wear because it was a part of our colors. And so I just chose to wear uh, wear red. I got to tell you, they look great, man, and they definitely make you stand out without question. So I got to ask you about a game against the Jets in week 11. Marcus Jones returns his punt 84 yards. It's a game winner. You guys had an unbelievable game against the Jets. You only gave up three points on defense. I'm wondering for you standing on the sideline watching this unfold, what did that feel like? Ah, man, it was unbelievable. Uh, Just going out there, play after play, giving it your all on defense and uh, not caring what type of position we was in, but saying, uh, you know, however we need to win this game, we're going to win this game. And for Marcus to go out there and uh, do what he did and return that punt, uh, it was crazy. And you kind of seen it in slow motion. At first, it was because the first couple punts uh, prior to that, they uh they didn't kick it to him. They didn't let him uh return the ball. Mm-hmm. And you first see it and then you're like, okay, uh he got the ball. And they they have a really good special teams player. And uh, you know, you got you got past Hardy and then it just it just, you just look at the jumbo trying to start going in slow motion. He cut <laughs> back on the punter. He in the middle of the field and it's it's nobody to catch him. And uh you know, it, it, it kind of happened in slow motion, but, uh, man, it was, it was crazy. And then right after we kicked off and uh, time expired 
And uh, that was great. That was a, a good time for him because, you know, he kind of rolled his ankle a little time before that. And for him to come back and do that and uh, we win in walk-off fashion like that was incredible. Yeah, just don't put the ball down the middle of the field inside the numbers. It's got to be outside the numbers is what I always say. And by the way, is there any added pressure playing linebacker for a coach whose last name is Belichick, even though it's not Bill? Uh, <laughs> it always is. You know you know, the eye's going to be on you, and you know the standard is high. And so uh, – and I think that's regardless of uh, who the coach is, but especially that, you know, the last name is Belichick. And so uh, – what we what we want to do is go out there and play at a consistently high level. Uh, you don't want to just be a a sometimes player. Uh, you want to be all the time, and whenever your number's called on, you want to deliver. And I feel like uh, I feel like they put you in that position to become that player. You know, you this you are the perfect person to ask this next question to. Because you signed with the Patriots after Tom Brady left. Mm -hmm. And I just have to wonder, is there a ghost of Tom Brady in that locker room or in Gillette Stadium? Uh, I, I believe it, it'll always be. Uh, with, a, with a quarterback like that, it's, it's really no replacing. No matter uh, you know how far along it is and how far uh, past he didn't play, you can't replace somebody like that. But in a, in a locker room, we know who we have in there. We know he's not there. You know, we know he's not coming back anytime soon. And we know we got to go out there and play and we got to win games without without him. And so uh, I never played with him, in which I think that's a good thing. Uh, it could be good or bad. But uh, I never played with him, so I don't have to carry that. Well, if he was here or – like, cause I don't, I don't have to answer those questions. So my default is always, I never played with him. I, I was here after him. So no ghost. So no ghost in the locker room then of Tom Brady? No, nah, no, nah, no, no ghost at all. All right. We're just getting warmed up with the great Matthew Judon in a moment. He's going to tell us about growing up as one of 10 children in the Detroit suburbs when game time continues right after this. Welcome back to Game Time, everyone. Matthew Judon may have had a massive body and a big-time personality to match, but when he was growing up in West Bloomfield, Michigan, the most outside part of his life was his family. Now, you were number six of ten children, Matthew. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with such old-school classics as Cheaper by the Dozen or Eight is Enough. I'm not sure if you're aware of those. But the premise of it is that the large family sometimes create humorous circumstances within the household. Can you think of something funny that happened that you could share with uh, your nine siblings? Uh, I think probably one of the funniest moments uh, that we ever had was uh, my dad, one year for Christmas, around Christmas time, he had got these slippers. And somehow they became like everyday slippers for him. Like he would cut the grass in them. He would, <laughs> he would do take the trash out. Like every, everything he did, he would do in these slippers. And then like one year he had, Probably like two, three years later, they he had finally like threw them away. They finally was like, you know, it was like you can't wear those no more. And uh, he had threw them away. My sister, my oldest sister, had got them and like pinned them up on like the uh, the wall. 
and she wrote a note. This was a uh, around a movie, uh, the Scream movie had came out, and yep. she had wrote a note that said, "I know what you wore last summer," <laughs> and we had we had all came in after like uh, being out somewhere, and they was just like hanging up on the wall, and we all died laughing, like we all we all was like on the ground for a long time about that. And so uh, we always just had memories. I just I just remember it was a lot of laughter and a lot of uh, joyfulness in the household. That's great. And a lot of love, I'm sure. You said growing up with so many siblings, yeah. uh, learning to get along with so many different personalities actually helped you in football. So how so? Uh, because there's a lot of different personalities in the locker room. You know, uh, we all come from a different backgrounds. Some of us was in larger families. Some of us are single families. Uh, you know, we got Dev, he's a, he's a twin. And so, uh, everybody come with their own different traits and personalities. And I think, uh, with me growing up the way I did, it allowed me to just understand multiple different type of personalities and a multi multitude of people. And I, so I believe that, uh, you know, that helped me in a large way growing up. You know, your mom, Pierretta Harrison, was the glue that held the family together. So I'm just wondering how she was able to demand good manners, dignity, respect from each of her 10 kids. Uh, I, th I think she did it. And also we just, uh, it kind of trickled down. It was, it was also a fact that, you know, uh, my I, I didn't see my older siblings disrespecting anybody or, uh, you know, going out of their way to disrespect anybody. Uh, I just kind of always seen them being a good, good human and always showing respect. And I kind of, uh, I kind of took along with that. And so with that, uh, it was, it was easier for her, the more kids she had, because that was like kind of more, more, uh, it kind of, you've seen it more you know, more examples to be a good person. And so I have five, I have five of them uh, that was older than me that did it very well. You know, uh, COVID-19 presented a lot of problems for all of us, but you, for your family, your mom was diagnosed with cancer and you were not able to be with her during that time. I mean, because of COVID-19 and all the rules and different things like that, how tough was that for you guys? Uh, that, was, that was very tough. I'm, I'm just glad my siblings was up. Uh, was there for and and could be there for, but uh, you know the NFL had strict rules and strict mandates uh for COVID nineteen that uh you know nobody really wanted to uh get in trouble uh the penalties were very hefty, but uh I so I had to stay stay out of it and stay at home, uh but my siblings they uh stepped up and they helped her and uh they uh was able to drive her to and from. And uh, also my dad, Earl, was able to drive her to and from. And so she was still surrounded by love. It was just, I couldn't be there uh, because of the guidelines and the stipulations that was put in place. You know, here's who Matthew Judon is out there, folks. Uh, and when your mom went into remission, you went and you bought her a new house and you celebrated that remission uh, with uh, with your mom and your in your siblings and everything. I got to believe that that had to be one of the greatest moments in your life. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, we uh, I mean, kind of like in fashion that we did, we have fun with it. Uh, it wasn't just like I bought her a house, uh, mm -hmm. me and all my siblings, older siblings. 
we all tore houses together. We uh, took the walkthroughs together and we uh, chose a house together. And so uh, we did that. And uh, when we uh, when we decided on the house and it was near closing time, uh, we started we started touring houses with my mom. And so uh, my sisters took her on like some like some pretty bad house tours <laughs> and stuff, just like just to like mess with her like a week before and two days before uh, like her housewarming party. And uh, all the while we in the background, like setting up a housewarming party for her. So, uh, well, she uh, she like calling us, like cussing us out and stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, like y'all know I wouldn't like this house and stuff. And we like, well, that's all we could do. Like it was, it, it's nothing else on the market. And so, uh, and so uh, after that, after that, like to, uh, when we actually had the housewarming party, uh, we told her like, cause it was around graduation time. So it was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, uh, one of my brothers was graduating. So he, it was like kind of his uh, a open house for like a student. So we planned that and then she pulled up and it was just all, you know, all of us and all her grandchildren was there and all her kids was there and uh we presented her with the house and uh she was really happy and we and we just enjoyed the day together and we uh she got to walk around her walk around her house and tour it and stuff for the first time with uh, all us being there and uh it was pretty awesome for my parents who knew that a defensive linebacker who terrorizes quarterbacks could have such a big heart that's a great story matthew yeah, it was it was pretty fun. Oh, that had to be unbelievable. Yeah. All right, so let me see. So you got you had nine siblings, so there's ten of you. Mm-hmm. And how many grandchildren are there? It's uh thirteen right now. Oh, oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so how many people so there's gotta be like how many people was everybody at the house? Yeah, everybody was at the house. Everybody that is unbelievable. That had to be that had to be awesome. Yeah. As we continue our podcast conversation with Matthew Judon, let's turn briefly to your college career. So what made you decide on Grand Valley State in Western Michigan? And why do you believe that going there was a blessing for you? I learned so much football when I was actually out there. I learned so much more about the game and about how to use my body and uh, uh, tailor my body to upstand, uh, well, withstand injuries and, uh, just just be be able to be out there and uh and so i I was just kind of glad i i chose grand valley just because of the things and the coaches and the players and the people i actually met out there uh i'm you know we i'm a believer in everything is for a reason and uh i chose and i i I went to grand valley for a reason and uh it got me here today uh, maybe it could have been easier if I would have went to a, a big school, Michigan, Ohio State, you know, Bama, one of those schools. But I'm glad I, I got it the way I did. You know, you had hurt your junior year, you tore your ACL. And I'm just wondering, at that point in your career, are you wondering about your future, whether or not you can make it to the NFL? And how lonely was rehab for you during that period? Uh, I believe that was kind of like one of the most loneliest times ever. Um it was, it was just me by myself and uh, the training staff. And I wasn't out there with, you know, a hundred and some odd players playing a game I love. I had to sit back and I had to rehab and I had to 
go through things alone instead of, you know, them dog days and, and them hard times and like, man, like football getting long. I didn't have those days. I had, I just had every day come in and try to just get a little bit better so I can get back out there. Um, and so that was, that was very tough. But uh, I believe throughout that time, I learned so much about football. I learned about the game of football. I learned about how the linebackers uh, manipulate the defensive line and how the safeties and come down and, and support and stuff like that. And, and things that uh, things that a lot of players kind of just don't know and, and just don't see at that age. And I was allowed to uh, stand back and learn about that and learn about the defense and, and how, how like the, just the details of the defense. And uh, with that, I was able to, uh, I think I was able to get better at uh, my craft and my job just because I knew where my help and my support was. And if I was to take a chance, these are the defenses I can actually take a chance in. I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I talk honestly about the hard parts of life. Join us and guests like Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Brene Brown as we have refreshingly honest conversations. New episodes are out every Tuesday and Thursday. So listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. You know, it's amazing. Your pro day, you crushed it. So you come back your senior year, you play great, and you crush it at your pro day. And I'm just wondering, for a small school guy like yourself, were you wondering whether or not it was good enough and who was noticing and whether or not you were going to be drafted after that pro day? Uh, that, that's, that, that's all up into the evaluators and recruiters' hands. Uh, my job was to go out there and do what I did. And I think uh, I put my best foot forward and I put my best self forward. And that's all I really could do at the time. And so uh, with that, I just... You know, I just left it all out there. I just left it all out there. And so, uh, you know, getting drafted in that process, it's it's difficult to have, you know, your life in somebody else's hands or your future in somebody else's hands. But that's what the NFL is about. It's all about a dream. It's all about somebody taking the chance on you. And I'm just glad that they took the chance on me and uh, the Ravens that they took the chance on me and, and they helped me get to where I am now. Yeah, the amazing thing is, is that you got to work to get where you are, and you are the perfect uh, example of that. And I'm just wondering, when you got the call from the Ravens, you were drafted in the fifth round. Where were you, and what was that moment like? Uh, I was at uh, one of my uh, high school coaches' houses, and surrounded by family and loved ones. And uh, uh, it was amazing. It was awesome. It was uh, life-changing. But I knew that it wasn't the end. I knew like that just that call wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to be. It wasn't going to get me uh to uh to where I am now. And so it was it was just a stepping stone. It was just it was just a starting uh, a starting spot and they said I could come and try out and to get a job. It wasn't guaranteed. It wasn't guaranteed. We see a lot of fifth round. We see a lot of guys in the league. Yep every year not make it and so uh, nothing was guaranteed but I, I'm really glad that they call 
and uh, Ozzy called and he was like, uh, is anybody around you? Cause I told everybody like, shut up. Like yeah. somebody, he was like, is anybody around you? I don't hear nothing. I was like, yeah, like, yeah. He was like, well, you can tell them to cheer because you're going to be a, a Baltimore Raven. And I told everybody that. And then like everybody went crazy. And so uh, I think, I think that experience is one I, I never forget. And I'll always remember. You know, Matthew, I could actually make an argument that Ozzie Newsom could be the greatest GM of his generation. And when you get a call by one of those guys with that with that uh, that reputation and what he has done for Baltimore, uh, that in itself right there is a check mark that says you belong in the NFL. Man, Ozzie, Ozzie picked them all right. He got all you guys right. Yeah, yeah. Ozzie really don't miss. He doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, I remember, so my my last year, just aside, my last year, my last game was against the Ravens, and it was in 1997, and there was a second-year player, and his name was uh, Ray Lewis. You know who he is, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I had never seen anybody play football like that in my life, uh, and I just said, you know what, this is going to be my last game. I'm not going to play anymore if they're going to be coming like this. And uh, and that was my last game. I walked off the field after 14 years and said, I'm done. I cannot play against people like this anymore. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, that's a good time to hang them up. Yeah. And now you're one of those guys, by the way. (laughs) If you if you want to come out retirement, it'd be a couple easy sacks, I believe. Yeah, that's for sure. Welcome back, everyone. After five seasons in Baltimore, in which he helped lead the Ravens to three different playoff appearances, Matthew Judon signed a four-year, $56 million contract with the New England Patriots. And Matthew, I'm just wondering, you know, why would you choose New England? Because, you know, some expatriates say, fairly or unfairly, depending on how you want to look at it, they claim the program could be too rigid and the rules too demanding. I I believe I believe that if you love football, you can go anywhere and play football. And so I love I love the game. And so uh, you know the rules, uh, regulations, and expectations are: you come in here and you're willing to do whatever you need to do to win games. And that's where that's where I want to be. And so uh, you know, ex players and uh, players like I I think the most exciting thing about Playing the game is winning the game. It's not. It's not the. Well, I didn't get to have fun off the, like off the field, or I didn't get to have fun like in, in my personal time. Like that's up to you. That's a. That's up to you. And, and you may you make your life with with your life is. But when you come in that building, your expectation is you want to win games, and that's what I want to do. I want to win games, and so. Uh, and so that's what that's why I came here. That's why I made made the change. And uh, you know, I it was I didn't know. I didn't know until I knew. Mm-hmm. And so I was just happy I made the switch and I came over here. You know, a lot of players aren't as lucky as you. And what I mean by that is you played for two great head coaches. Both head coaches are going to the Hall of Fame, John Harbaugh and Bill Belichick. Now, I don't think these two guys like each other a lot when they're playing against each other. I'm just wondering how are they different? Are they much different? And what's it like playing for one as opposed to the other? Uh, I think one of the biggest differences is that – 
like Harbaugh would like kind of you kind of see him. He be asking like his players like, oh y'all y'all want to go for it or y'all want to do the like how do y'all want to do it like, and and Bill not asking nobody nothing. You know, Bill been around <laughs> he been around football for so long and uh like he just he just knowing he like in this situation this is what I'm doing in this situation this is what I'm doing and 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 he has those things and he just the he demands he demands when he calls those things that the players get it done that they have uh been in preparation and they have prepared themselves to get it done and I think that's one of the biggest things. Not that's not saying that Harbaugh doesn't do that, but like he coach Belichick not asking nobody, like, oh, you wanna go for it or you wanna like do that. He he know what we're doing in that situation. Uh he knows. He wants to control everything. Now I just uh, you've been around Coach Belichick long enough now that you understand all these Belichick isms that he throws out there. And I just want to get your reaction to a couple of them and see if you can explain to me and the audience exactly what he's trying to tell his players, okay? All right, let me see. Okay, here you go. The first one would be do your job. What does that mean? Uh, it's simple. Just do your job. Don't don't try to – if you're a linebacker, be a linebacker. Don't try to be a corner. Don't try to be a safety. We need you to be a linebacker. And uh, that's it. All right. Talent sets the floor. Character sets the ceiling. Uh, that one, I believe that, uh, you, you can be as good as you want to be, but when your character is that you do, you trying to be better than what you are now, that's, that's when you become a better player. All right. Simple. All right. Here's another one. You get the job done or you don't. I mean, I feel like that's self. Like we we don't want to hear excuses. We don't want to hear. We don't want to hear no palms up. See no palms up. Or you don't blame it on somebody else. It's either you did the job if if it was to hold the edge, or you didn't. As simple as that. All right, two more. Don't outdumb yourself now. Wait, what was that? Don't outdumb yourself now. Don't outdumb yourself now. Oh no, nah, I don't, I haven't even heard that one. I haven't heard that one. That means, that means that you're not outdumbing yourself. They're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. And the final one, the final one, now this is from Bill Belichick, remember. I don't Twitter, I don't my face, I don't yearbook. I <laughs> <laughs> mean, he don't got no social media. He don't got no social. He always know what's going on in the world. He gonna, but he going to say that stuff, but he, he, don't be on, so he don't be on social media. And he and he hate uh snap face. He don't like snap face either. <laughs> snap face or Snapchat, whatever it is, whatever it's called, TikTok, who knows? <laughs> snap face, I like it. As we continue this edition of Game Time Podcast with our guest Matthew Judon, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your affinity for, well, Taco Bell. Now, two years ago during Sunday night football lineups, you caught the national audience by surprise when you announced yourself as Matthew Judon, body built by Taco Bell. So what prompted you to ditch Grand Valley State for a Mexican-themed fast food chain? We was just kind of playing around on the intros. You know how you shoot the intros, and we was kind yeah. of just playing around. I said a whole couple other things I think they still got in the vault. But uh, they, just ran, they just ran with that one. And uh, 
I, I, I don't know. I forget what game it was. I, I think it was against the Patriots. Honestly, I think it was against the Patriots. And then, and we had one. So, like, my phone had blew up. I had a whole bunch of messages. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, you're like, they talking about the game." And I, all I seen was like, "Bro, your intro was hilarious. Your intro was <laughs> hilarious." And I, and I didn't, I didn't know what they was talking about because they didn't tell me that they was gonna do that one. And uh, so they had uh put that up there, and uh, I had eventually seen it, and I. It kind of blew up. It kind of blew up. It went uh it went a little viral for a couple of days and uh it was it was pretty funny, but uh I, I enjoy Taco Bell. I really <laughs> do. I, I really enjoy Taco Bell. So, uh, and so, you know, I eat their food. Yeah, that is hilarious. You eat their food. I hope they give you a black card so you can go anytime you want for free. I mean, that you know, that's pretty big advertising right there. So now listen, you don't have to go to a Mexican restaurant to find a taco. There's a big one currently playing in the National Football League. I want to ask you this question. This is our this is our quiz. Tic tac taco. So listen up to these questions. You give me the answer, okay? Okay. Like I said, you don't have to go to a Mexican restaurant to find a taco. There's a big one currently playing in the National Football League. Who am I referring to? Charlton. That's taco. right. Taco Charlton. That's exactly yeah. right. His given name is Vedante. All right. Now, this is a true or false. Astronauts on the International Space Station grew their own chili peppers and used them to make space tacos. False. No, that's true. Actually, oh. in... 2021, astronaut, uh, astronaut Megan MacArthur celebrated the scientific harvest and organized a space taco party. You should have been there. How did, how did, they, how did they grow without the sun? And Well, that's, that's what science is all about, Matthew. I can't explain all that stuff to you. You're right, asking an right. extra quarterback. All right, talk about true or false. The biggest taco ever created actually measured 112 yards. Imagine that from goal line to goal line and then a little bit more. And it was filled with pulled pork. Did that ever happen? I'm gonna say true. True is right. In 2019, a group in central Mexico set the Guinness World Record. Okay. That's, that's disgusting. <laughs> that's All right. True or false. Last question. The world's most expensive taco cost $400. Yeah, that's that's true. They probably they probably gold plated or something. Gosh. Hey, listen, that is false, Matthew. False? I can't believe you didn't get this one right. The world's most expensive taco actually cost twenty five thousand dollars. It consists of a gold infused tortilla wrapped yeah. around lobster and Kobe beef and topped with beluga caviar and truffles. And you can get those in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. I'm sure you've been there, right? But uh, no, I never been. But twenty five thousand dollars? It's no way. Yeah, yeah, there is a way, and there it is, right there for you. Our thanks to the great Matthew Judon for joining us today on Boomer Size, and I'll see you again real soon, right here on Game Time with Baltimore Ravens sack artist Calais Campbell. 